you know, in the United States, we have we have such a conflicted history and relationship with um, with our environment. So I would say just overall eco prissiness about intervening in our landscapes. At the same time, you know, there's just rapaciousness. So it's really hard to find space between those two poles to work. A lot of times, I'm just looking at okay, how can we how can we apply this particular idea as a sort of model or uh, kind of a sketch to other scales, other geographies, other cultures. I'm not a huge fan of naturalization in terms of, you know, or, or even the idea of ecological restoration. I think we just, we need to keep moving forward when we need to think in terms of hybridity, you know, rurality, if that's even a word. I think we can loop back, we can touch back into um, that which was there, but it's not, it's not going to be the way forward. My name is Sarah Coles and I am currently a landscape architect and professor of landscape architecture at the University of Southern California. But in general, I'm, I'm in the Republic of Georgia in the city of Tbilisi where I have a kind of hybrid practice of landscape architecture and landscape art and I'm just starting to build that practice with um, a friend of mine, Jesse Vogler, who is also a professor of landscape architecture, and we're focusing our work right now on the Caucasian Isthmus, which is the bridge of land between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. And we have both um, we have both some commercial projects, ecotourism and hospitality projects, and then we are building up sort of a research base of landscape history in that region. Um, so we're all just sort of starting out in this endeavor and we also have educational components to what we do. I was teaching at Ohio State as an assistant professor of landscape architecture and I was looking to get back into a big city. Um, I'd lived in the Bay Area for a number of years before I went to graduate school but I'd never really been in LA and I was thinking now is a really good time and I had lots of friends here and I thought this will be a good opportunity and I got a position at a at USC. So I was at USC for two years um, and I'm currently on leave. I always try to find an excuse to get on the LA River bike path um, and sort of route myself that way and um, I always like to see what's going on on the edges and kind of see who's inhabiting it in terms of humans, in terms of, you know, different types of species that might be there and see where the water, you know, like what's going on with the water. And also I just find that corridor to be so, you know, essentially L.A. It can be hard to get to the bike path at times, but once you're in it, it's um, relatively quiet and safe place to ride. Um, and I'm a very experienced cyclist. I'd been a, a bike messenger in San Francisco for a number of years in my 20s, and I'm no, really no stranger to crazy traffic. But I feel like in L.A., there's just the drivers have even a more distracted and aggressive attitude. So the L.A. River corridor seems to be the good uh, sort of haven away from all of that. I've sort of ended up by accident uh, with an Instagram account called Ditch Daily. That's Ditch underscore Daily. Um, 
And of course, LA River is like the, the ditch of all ditches. I think it's sort of given me this lens to see civilization and to see inhabitation of landscape. It is a massive piece of infrastructure with a kind of sublime condition, um, sublime scale of engineering. And it's this, you know, brutal section that's been dragged through this uh, huge piece of geography. And, you know, the questions as landscape architects that always comes up for me is if we want to intervene into something that is, you know, an incredibly functional landscape for one particular need at a particular time, but we're trying to begin to layer in other types of inhabitation um, to better serve our citizens and human and non-human alike. What is the design idiom that is complementary to that? That is, you know, not to sort of, you know, laminate on nature, but to create a series of interventions that, you know, are always sparking dialogue with the initial condition of the sublime infrastructure. So, you know, knowing that we're not going to be able to remove this concrete jacket and let the river be washy the way that it was and take up all the room that it needs to take up. But how do we how do we sort of splice into this landscape? In imagining the infrastructure of the future, I would I would like to see them, you know, more humane, more diversified, democratic for again both human and non human species and flexible. So not only in access, you know, to green corridors for non-motorized transportation, the ability to start and grow, you know, not necessarily just gardens, but to provide spaces for experimentation and in urban landscapes and urban forestry. Right now, I feel in the U.S., we we haven't taken a position in either direction, right? We can't really squat it and we can't exactly grow rural forests along our infrastructures, but we also aren't necessarily investing in them to be the kind of hybrid public space that they have the potential to be. Rural is all that is adapted to disturbance, all systems, all life forms, economies, and there's a rural in waiting, right? There's a sort of virtual or imminent rural that could happen at any point. So anytime you have destruction or you have disturbance, whether that's fire, whether that's reconstruction, whether that's aerial bombardment, all places, all sites have this rural in waiting. And so... For me, it's a way to get away from discussions about, you know, what was here originally, what was the native species, what was, you know, what was this place before we came and, and redeveloped it. It's that, it's that what's truly site-specific is that which can evolve on its own, the sort of rural reaction. And that is always tuned to the event itself and those species that are those kind of first responders um, and are are adapted to those conditions. To me, that that sort of reaction um, and ability to start rebuilding systems, um, these sorts of ecologies that that kind of show up and begin creating interrelationships with one another, those are the things I'm most interested in as a as a landscape architect, especially in in urban areas. 
if a certain type of garbage has collected against a, you know, some immovable object, some kind of, you know, force of resistance, and that happens to be somebody's marijuana seeds that fell out of their pocket when they were crossing the bridge, that could be ruderal. You know, I, I see... I see the guys out in the orange vests, you know, cleaning out whatever uh, people are saying is non-native. And I just, you know, I find it's a wonderful pageant and I think it's adorable, but it is, you know, it is this sort of cognitive dissonance that many people have about what kinds of conditions we're creating in the city. You know, what was here, what will be here and what we've created. And so, you know, there's an enormous expenditure of labor and money and time to remove these species based on an idea of, I don't know, a kind of fantasy idea. And so there's this wonderful sort of play that gets acted out. Um, to what end, I don't know. But um, I would say, though, you know, those species that are adapted to living in that channel, to the sort of vicissitudes of the speed of the water, of the flooding, um, of the dry, dry heat in the summer, anything that can survive in there, like I give it a gold star. The project I call the Low Flow came out of spending a lot of time riding up the Arroyo Seco Channel as the bike path and looking at the sort of wonderful, polished, beveled uh, surfaces of this, you know, of this chute, more or less. But then looking at all the places where there was um, runoff different outlets from stormwater systems and how that tiny bit of water sort of wetting that concrete and making it shiny or changing its color gave some kind of variety and beauty to the to the channel so in the low flow there was a series of vignettes of what what could be possible if you took a kind of concrete saw and concrete grinding equipment and you faceted and beveled these different areas where there was water coming in, um, stormwater runoff coming in, and kind of made it into like, imagine like polishing gems and faceting it and creating these areas where the water would sort of wash down or be collected, almost gem polishing, just these very specific areas where there was water and leaving the rest of the channel to be. So it was a kind of very precise series of interventions that I thought could be very beautiful and, you know, and, and powerful yet subtle. I've made a series of drawings of this project, um, kind of Photoshop uh, imaginations and renderings, uh, but we haven't, I haven't found any, you know, takers on it in terms of it being an actual project. Most of the time, I don't expect there'll be any takers. Sometimes the work is, you know, academic and it's experimental, but one of the reasons that I I'm really drawn to working in other parts of the world is that um, there are sometimes openings for perhaps more experimental work around landscape. I would say that new forms of ecological consciousness are those that project into the future that are not you know, completely tied to ideas of restoration or a kind of golden ecological idea that's actually so unobtainable that it prevents any type of action. And so 
I, I like to, you know, look closely at the way that ecosystems interact with soils, interact with substrates, interact with climate, create new spatial and aesthetic conditions, um, create new interdependencies, and thus new environments for, you know, humans and non-humans alike. And so, yeah, in terms of, you know, new forms of ecological consciousness, it's how, you know, how can we, how can we even come up with approaches and methods that will allow us to resist against the dominant rapaciousness of capitalism and its effect on the environment and how these, you know, more flexible ways of thinking about future adapted ecology can be helpful in how we think through climate change. And I I recently wrote a piece for Landscape Architecture magazine that does kind of critique this way of thinking about climate change where in the, you know, in the kind of end result of all of the thinking about coastal cities, how will they adapt, that all of the views and the renderings of this future just look like you know, REI by the bay, and what I like to call resilient by design within reach, where there's no, there's no room for thinking through the new kinds of culture that might emerge in these edges. I look at these three nested scales, the garden, the site itself, right, what's particular to that site, like, you know, the substrate, the geology, the traces of infrastructure, and then the region itself. So, depending on the kind of assignment or problem I'm seeking at the time, the project may resolve at any one of those scales. So what we're doing is the fundamentals of, of human inhabitation, of infrastructure, of agriculture, and, and site grading is fundamental to all of the ways that we work in the Anthropocene. So yeah, everything from transportation to agriculture to development to I would say not not ecological restoration, but maybe uh, ecological intensification efforts. I found that the most effective way of bringing students um, to a very deep and facile uh, understanding of site grading is we start in the field. We start by measuring contours with our line levels and chalk and bottles of water, you know, pouring water down a slope and seeing which way it goes and understanding that wherever that water is going, our, our contours are perpendicular to that, to that flow of water. Most landscape architects are terrible at reconciling scale. You know, you can see it in um, the Owens Lake project. Was it Nuvis did that? Like, how do you reconcile something that's so monumental in scale with, an, with another intervention? So I think that's something that always has to be considered, right? If you just add another laminate on top of it, that will be at the same scale and and can kind of work. But um, I would say just a lot of close observation of how it operates now, right? Just going out to the site again and again and doing work every time. And then what I've learned from the studio and going back to the site again, always fine tunes my perception and my thoughts about what I would do to intervene later. So being in a tight kind of rigorous loop, right, between going to the site, observing, going back to the studio, reflecting, interpreting, and going back again with new questions and and kind of new vision. The song that most often comes to mind is L.A. by the fall. And I think when you're, um, maybe if you're on the elevated part of the 110 and you're looking out at the city, um, there's this kind of wonderful repetition that he, that Mark E. Smith does of just L L L L A A A, 
and just that relentlessness of that song um, and the relentlessness of the of the LA landscape as and and the river as it just you know carves this just this profile just gets carved right down through the city I think that would be the the song that resonates the most for me. 